You are listening to WWBC, Coco, Merritt Island, 1510 AM, as well as W234BI, Coco, Rockledge, 94.7 FM, W264AS, Rockledge, Melbourne, Palm Bay, Indy Atlantic, Indian Harbor Beach, Satellite Beach, 100.7 FM, and W260CL, Coco, 99.9 FM. Hello, space and treasure coast. This is Cedar Begee on Viewpoint with Cita and friends right here in sunny Cocoa, Florida. We can be heard on AM 1510. Our dial is WWBC. Or we're also heard on FM 94.7, 99.9, 100.7, and all over the magnificent planet on the World Wide Web on... That's right, on 1510wwbc.com. Too, let me say, if you are driving, if you're in central Brevard County, it's 94.7 FM. And if you're heading south, if you start to lose us there... Just flick your dials over to 100.7, and that'll pick us up there at the mid-end of the county, uh, heading into Melbourne and Palm Bay and all points south. But uh, 1510wwbc.com is how to stream from your computer anywhere in the world or download the app as well, WWBC, in your app store. So each week, my co-host, Ellen O'Neill, and myself and Samantha Nazaria, we sit here in the studio, which has become part of my existence. You know, Paul, 11 years of doing Viewpoint with Sita and Friends, it does become part of your life. It's like, you know, Monday is where I am. You get to the studio. <laughs> and so we sit down here and we talk about kitchen table topics and things that are going on in our state, in Brevard County, Florida, and around the world. And we have listeners that do listen all the way in Ireland and Scotland and Toronto and all over the place. And we've had a lot of shows where people call in and uh, want to know about things that are going on right here in Florida. They want to know what's going on with voting. They want to know what's going on with the environment. They want to know what's going on, you know, with um, just about anything. So um, it's it's a blessing to have a voice to have a responsible to have a responsible voice and talk on radio and, and i like, know that freedom the way of you speech do. comes with a responsibility and so that's how it is so samantha some of our folks are asking what happened to our website and you know what to do because um well, we web- now can be heard on the wwbc website yes our website is having a little bit of technical difficulty so you can find us anytime if you can't hear us live at www dot fifteen ten wwbc.com you're simply going to click on the on demand button you're going to click the date on the calendar and proceed to listening to one of our fabulous archive shows there and thank you paul for doing that for us paul's always here and i have to say when everybody else fails paul is here to pick up the slack and help us out which you know it's amazing what's a great relationship right life is about relationships and we have an awesome relationship with paul so we have a good lineup today, Samantha. Um, we've got on our show today a good friend of mine, Ashley Burke, recommended that Nandita Bajaj call in. She's the executive director of Population Balance, and she's going to be calling in a few minutes. And then we've got in studio my friend Patricia Warrow, 
I like how I always turned that W into M, and I shouldn't. It's Waro. <laughs> and Patricia is the Claims and Collection Manager with VIP America. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad, glad you're that you're here, my ABWA sister. And uh, Sam Yates, he is with, with VIP America as well, and he's the Regional Marketing Director. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me on the program, and it's my honor. I also want to say congratulations to you and Patricia for the national award that we're not supposed to be talking about yet. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? You guys are going to be on the second segment. And uh, in the meantime, we are going to chat with Nandita. But before we go to her, um, you know, I just wanted to tell all our listeners. Yesterday, um, I put a picture of myself on Facebook smiling. Um, Dr. Biggie and I have been working behind the scenes to encourage people to get their COVID vaccine and to get the booster shots. And we're pleased that as a team, um, he's a retired physician, I'm a nurse, we've been able to talk to so many people who actually had a lot of concerns about the vaccine and put their mind at ease. And it's always wonderful when someone calls us and said, because of you guys, I'm getting the vaccine. And then I turn around and I say to them, listen, you're really getting the vaccine to protect yourself, your loved ones, your community. And it's amazing um, when you're listening to the news and you're, you're just so happy about stuff, you hear on NPR that uh, hospitalizations are down and vaccinations are up, which is a good thing for our country because we want to return to normalcy again. You know, I, I know I do. It um, It's heartbreaking to watch the elderly um, patients in their wheelchairs when they come out of their rooms, they've got to wear their mask. And they're in the activity room watching a movie, they've got to wear a mask. They're in the hallway, they got to wear a mask. They remove their mask to eat, and if they go out in the courtyard. But come on, folks, think about my little 80 and 90-year-old patients. We need to get them out of their masks. So that's my P, my, my CETA-ism for today. Get vaccinated <laughs> if you can. If you have a medical reason why you shouldn't, we certainly understand. But anyway, so we, get, we know that Nandita, I hope I'm saying your, right, your name correctly, Bajaj is on the phone. Nandita, thanks for taking the time to call in. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I saw your picture on that beautiful website this morning. My goodness, I looked at two websites this morning before I prepared for the show. I looked at VIP America and I looked at yours and um, it was really easy to navigate. So whoever did your websites, my tell them I said that. You're talking to her, so thank you so much. <laughs> hey, come to Florida and help me with mine. <laughs> so I was looking at your name, and I thought it was N- Nandita Balaj, and then I'm like, wait a minute, it's not not an L, it's a J. Interesting. Yes, it's, and both the J's are hard J's, so they are. it's just uh, pronounced just as it looks, Bajaj. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that that's a different Indian name. I've never seen that Indian name <laughs> before. So you and I... Um, uh, met uh, because of Ashley, and we both have the common interests of fair, the Fair Start movement. That is right. Yes. And how wonderful uh, and I it is! I recently joined. You did. Yes, it truly is. Yes, I recently joined their leadership team, and I'm so excited to be working with such a fascinating and talented group of people, including yourself. Thank you. And I like um, what you're with. You are the executive director of Population Balance. And you all provide education and solutions to address the impacts of human overpopulation, overconsumption on the planet, people, and animals. And you bring me right back to my childhood living in a village. Yes. Uh, do you want to t- tell me about your own experience? And I can, I can add, add to that. 
Sure, I was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago in a little village called Coriel Village, and it was a village. I mean, we had one standpipe where all the ladies would line up in the morning with their buckets to get water. We had a well and um, a spring. We had a spring that we would get water from the spring. So whoever couldn't wait in the line, they would march all the way to the other end of the village and get the water from the spring. But, you know, that village provided some sort of a camaraderie for people. That's how they socialized. That's how they mm -hmm. talked about pregnancy. That's how they talked about who's working the sugarcane fields. That's how they talked about domestic violence. That's how they talked about child raising. That's how they planned for the day to help each other to raise kids. And that's how they, they had hand-me-downs that somebody might have a piece of clothing that somebody else could wear or somebody had a baby bottle that they were no longer using and the nipple was still usable so they'll give it to someone and you know what those people lived they, 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 yeah. they, they, they didn't worry too much about diseases and things like that and of course um, they didn't have birth control because you know that was expensive but they talked about having children and they talked about yeah. the wealth of the village of course with Indian people with their children but they talked about if you if you're gonna have the kids you have to have a garden you have to have a way to feed them you have to have a way to watch yeah. them and as time went by people got educated and they acted upon that education and they didn't have as many kids before but um, you know, I aspired to come to America and so many other people wanted to leave the village and go into the towns and become more westernized. But man, sometimes I see Americans pay a lot of money to go for one week and live in a village. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I could have stayed in that village, got a website going to make a lot of money. <laughs> so tell and, me about I'm your so experience. Glad. I'm so glad you shared your experience with me because I, I had, you know, somewhat similar experience growing up in India. I, I was I lived there until I was 17 with my family and um, I didn't live in a village. I was always in an urban environment, but I very much grew up with this kind of, um, uh, you know, a narrative that um, having children was, uh, you know, takes a village to raise children and there's a real camaraderie and community spirit to getting involved and uh, the tradition was a huge piece of that uh, but what I also grew up watching uh, in my own country was just the sheer impact of um, the number of people who were living in extreme poverty um, real you know impoverished communities that didn't have the most basic human rights being met and these were for me as when I noticed Similar to how you were describing, um, people who were um, who had the least amount of access to uh, family planning information, reproductive health care, um, access to education, and I'm working with you know groups within India now, and I know similar stuff is happening. Is people who need it the most have the least uh, amount of access, and also the least degree of reproductive autonomy. And that's really what draw, uh, drew me into this work of uh, population sustainability and looking at our consumption here in Western countries, uh, you know, especially as I can contrast my lifestyle in India and my lifestyle in Canada now, um, the sheer disproportionate degree of consumption that we engage in in Western countries and what a huge impact that has. Yes, um, but you know, 
as I started getting more and more interested in um, environmental advocacy and animal advocacy and human and reproductive rights, I started to understand that human overpopulation can be a very difficult, controversial topic to speak about. And it's partly because, um, you know, and we can speak frankly, because most um, people think of population growth happening in poorer countries. And we are told not to speak about that because it's seen as racist. But coming from a country like that, for me, it's actually very illuminating to see that population growth is actually happening because there is very little reproductive autonomy. There is very little care for reproductive health and services in communities that need it the most. And if we're not speaking about it and if we're not supporting um, empowerment and education of girls and accessing uh, and teaching about reproductive health, then these kinds of problems continue to perpetuate and, and harm the ones that, you know, Needed the we're most. trying to protect the most. That's right. Totally. So, Nandita, are you calling in today from Canada or are you here in the U.S.? I'm in Canada, but Population Balance is located in the U.S., and I am their first international executive director. So yeah, because I, I was looking at your bio. You, um, you have a degree in aerospace engineering from Ryerson University, and you, all, and you also have, at, um, from the University of Toronto, you have a degree in humane education um, you're quite, you, my, you're brilliant, my friend. <laughs> oh, I love thank it. You, thank you, Sita. Thank you. Yeah. So, so, t- t- so tell us a little bit. Um, so how did you get involved in teaching this class, pronatalism and overpopulation? I would think that you drew on your experience and you sound like you're very compassionate about, um, animals and humans and you have a passion for protecting our world. So that's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, um, and you, as you mentioned, you know, I've kind of had a, an evolving career path. I started out in aerospace engineering. I used to love airplanes and spacecraft, and I worked in the field for several years. And then, you know, I started becoming more and more aware of the climate impacts of what's happening in the world. And I just felt a pull to move more into education to align my work with my newfound values. And so I became a high school teacher, and then, you know, more recently, after 10 years of teaching high school math and science, I um, moved into, as you mentioned, humane education, which looks at a a framework of, you know, addressing global issues um, that considers human rights, animal protection, and environmental restoration. So it's looking at everything. Um, so the goal of humane education is to find solutions that, you know, aren't doing good in one area, but then, uh, you know, unintentionally causing harm in another area. So suddenly when you start looking at things from such a complex perspective, you realize any solution we design for, for one thing ends up harming something else, often animals, well, um, the, yeah. in our case. I, I always say that's why we have regulations, right? Always. People, we have a exactly. regulation because something bad happens somewhere, someplace else. Can we clone you? Because I feel like I could sit down <laughs> with you. I mean, our studio, we've got my friend Sam Yates is here, my friend Patricia Waro and Samantha, my co-host, and we're all nodding our head 
because we you, you're coming across loud and clear and it's almost like you're sitting right here with us and it's amazing oh, to speak with someone with like you but um yeah so so go ahead so you were you were saying yeah you you got involved and you all, so you teach this class at the university level yeah it's a graduate level um so i designed this course as part of my thesis and as i was telling you i was really interested in looking at how to address overpopulation in a way that's sensitive that understands cultural nuances that understands the horrible history of population policies that have uh, harmed people and you know violated their reproductive rights but also recognizing that overpopulation itself is premised on violation of rights because people aren't being given a lot of reproductive autonomy to make their own decisions and and people who are having a lot of kids are people who don't have a lot of independence and autonomy to make life decisions for themselves such as women that you know I've seen growing up in India so so then for me the idea I started delving into this idea of pronatalism which is a social bias towards having children and um you know I grew up with this idea that I was going to get old, you know become an adult and have two kids and I don't know where that idea came from but growing up I had always seen people having two kids around me I had never met anybody who didn't have children so it was just what I thought I would do when I grew up and then as I went through university and started you know delving deeply into my own desires and life path I decided to that that you know motherhood was not right for me but it was it took so much for me to come to that decision that i started realizing how difficult it is for people to make reproductive decisions for themselves because there is so much cultural and you know pressure cultural yeah i would think you you probably you probably had some sleepless nights over that because in in our culture the indian culture even the diaspora it doesn't matter where you live that is a big thing grow up get Isn't married it? become a doctor engineer lawyer open exactly. a business and have a couple of kids and then you get somebody's wealth and their jewelry and their pretty carpets <laughs> and whatever but my friend Samantha is shaking her head because she has a slogan she says one and done one and done i yes. mean I, i got it right the first time i didn't want to chance it a second time over yeah. Yeah. and like you're right i love it I I love the subject Nadita that you're discussing responsible reproductive and also giving and conveying that knowledge forward because like you said people of lesser circumstances I myself needed a hysterectomy they kept telling me you're too yeah. young I had fibroids I yeah. needed the hysterectomy I'm not using the stuff take it you yeah, know what yeah. I mean <laughs> so I yeah. I totally understand what you're saying and I grew up in New York where you had plant parenthood and sex ed but my son grew up here where none of those classes really took place I had to explain yeah. it to him. So I have a quick question oh, for yeah. you Nadita. We know of that oh, it's amazing talking to you. You're teaching the first course of its kind that looks at the connection between oh, I'm trying to say this right. Pronatalism. Pronatalism mm-hmm. and uh pronatalism and overpopulation in animals, impact its impact on humans and on the planet. Can you define your pronatalism and also explain to me the difference between that and overpopulation? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so pronatalism is the social bias that um everyone in their adulthood um should have kids. 
And we don't have a biological bias to have children, but the social bias, like you both have mentioned, it's so strong that we're made to believe that, that our desire to have children is not only natural, it's universal. And so if you grow up with the belief that one of your main goals in life, or in some cases your only goal in life, is to become a parent, and everyone and everything around you is perpetuating that belief, whether it's media, whether it's you know, government, corporations, the ads that we see, our own family, our own tradition, it really doesn't leave us with a whole lot of opportunity to figure out for ourselves what is it that we truly want? Is parenthood right for me? Is one child right for me? Do, should I have two children? Should I adopt? Should I become a foster parent? Should I adopt animals? Um, so the pronatalism is basically these sets of beliefs and pressures that take away a lot of this examination that let us make decisions that are good for us whether that involves parenthood or non-parenthood. And so, the, you know, when I started looking at overpopulation, I realized it's so difficult to talk about overpopulation because inherently when we're saying sustainable population uh, is needed, we are saying we need to have fewer children, we need to have smaller families. And you talk about family, and that's a very personal subject for people. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's to cultural. Talk about. It's cultural, and you know when you talk about family and you talk about marriage, in some ways you're kind of striking down the corporate world as well, because you know a, a marriage yes. and family means somebody's buying a house. It means somebody's going to yeah. have to pay car insurance, health insurance, house insurance, life insurance. It means somebody's going to have to buy materials at a hardware to build a house. They're going to have to fix a garden. Marriage, family, children, all equals money in the end as well. So that's and society. So and that's Indian, right. that's Indian society right there because they'll say, you have a piece of land to build a house. Um, how you plan yeah. to take care of these kids? And, and so you're right because I was conditioned to grow up. And marry an Indian yeah. boy and go to the temple and have a couple of kids <laughs> and blah, 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 you know. But I think if you change your way of thinking and look at the world that we all belong and we are a global village, then you don't have to reproduce from your own womb in order to take care of a child yeah. or take care of society. You love everyone and you want everybody to survive, right? I love that. Exactly. And there, there really is a lot in it for our institutions, for the governments to benefit from these, these kinds of the marriage, the family institution. And like you're saying, there are, there's a lot to be had for um, big businesses, corporations to, to rely on these, you know, really traditional narratives of defining what family means. And it leaves out so many people who think they are a family, but they don't fit into the traditional definition of a family. That's right. Like my so, Nadita, we, we, have have we have four minutes left of the segment, and I really wanted to ask you really quick, because Paul, my producer, has given me the, the hands up here for the time. You're, you're awesome. Yeah. I could talk to you forever. It's so interesting. Um, so you <laughs> recently joined Fair Start, and for our listeners who are tuning into Viewpoint with Sita and Friends, um, can you describe for them our Fair Start model? Yes, yes. So um, Fair Start 
uh, is a model that is uh, looking at a child-centric approach to families. So it's coming from a place of not, not what culture is telling us to do, but rather what do our prospective children, if we decide to have them, what do they need in order to have a fair start in life? And it should not be determined by whether you are born into a rich or a poor family. So the Fair Start model is advocating for family planning uh, policies that are centered around the benefit of the children. Do the children have what they need in order to start off well in their life? Because we know that children who are born into poor families, they are at greater risk of poverty in adulthood. And so just because of a socioeconomic uh, status of a person, um, the children should not be, um, you know, at the mercy of whatever... They're born into. ...hand of God. Yes. Exactly. And we see that in Hindi films a lot, that because you're born into something, it's so hard to get out of it. But if somebody wanted to reach you, do you have a website or do you have a phone number? Because I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. Um, so give us your website so that uh, people can reach out to you or maybe go and learn more about what you're doing with the um, population balance and uh, Fair Start Movement. For sure. So uh, for my uh, own organization, it's populationbalance.org. And for Fair Start Movement, which I'm also co-leading, it's Fair Start Movement, all one word. Awesome. And now I have your number, so I'll keep it because I'll be coming to Toronto. You know, my niece is a vet there, and the other one is an internist, and my nephew is a cardiologist. So hopefully we can all get together. I hope I will get to see you. Yes. 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 And we should definitely keep the conversation going outside of this. It, It was so fun talking to you all. They all think like you, so that's wonderful. Well, Nandita Bajaj, it was awesome having you on Viewpoint with Sita and Friends. We will send you the information how to send a link to your friends to listen to this segment. And for listeners who have tuned into this viewpoint with Sita and friends, Samantha, Sam, and Patricia and I will be right back with the second segment. And friends is sponsored by the friends and family of Sita Begee, author of 18 Brothers and Sisters, and founder of Simply Sita Skin Care and these great sponsors. When you need medical care and need it fast, MedFast Urgent Care is faster and less expensive than emergency rooms. MedFast is open seven days a week, now with 13 locations, including one in Volusia County. With so many MedFast Urgent Care centers, there is a MedFast near you. MedFast offers top quality care that is close by and the number is easy to remember. That is 321-MEDFAST. You just call 321-MEDFAST. No one wants to wait in an emergency room for hours and get even sicker when you get the high bill. What you want is medical care fast. That's why you call MedFAST, where most patients are seen and treated in less than an hour. So when you need medical care fast, call 321-MEDFAST. MedFast. Located in Titusville, Florida, Dixie Crossroads has been serving great tasting seafood, char grilled steaks, prime rib, chicken, fresh salads, and their famous corn fritters for over 31 years. The menu features the very best local shrimp and fish from Port Canaveral. 
and ranges from low-cost sandwiches and baskets to high-end seafood combos. Visit this Florida favorite at 1475 Garden Street in Titusville. That's Dixie Crossroads, 321-268-5000, 321-268-5000, or visit them on the web at DixieCrossroads.com. Champion Home Healthcare, keeping your loved one happy, healthy, and at home. Available at 321-306-2551. Once again, 321-306-2551. Champion Home Healthcare is ACHC accredited and licensed, Medicare certified, and a TRICARE provider. Champion Home Healthcare, 306-2551. There's something special about the place we call home. It's the place we live our lives, spend time with family and friends, and make our own. At St. Francis Reflections Hospice, we consider it a privilege to care for you wherever your home may be. We put our hands, hearts, and skills into providing high-quality hospice care in your home. To learn more about how we reflect life, love, and compassion, visit www.reflectionslsc.org. Welcome back, dear listeners. This is Sita Biggie on Viewpoint with Sita and Friends right here in sunny Cocoa, Florida. We are on AM 1510, FM 94.7, 99.9, 100.7. And Paul, they they can hear us online as well. They certainly can. And that is at uh, 1510WWBC.com. And uh, Samantha, people who want to listen to Nandita's segment from Population Balance and... Nandita's fantastic segment will be available. Uh, Go to www.1510wbc.com. You're going to click on the on-demand button, hit the calendar, select today's date, and listen to our wonderful show. Thank you. All right, so now we go to our second segment, uh, Topic After My Dear Heart. Growing older, bolder, wiser, and wanting to die with dignity in your own home. And that's why we brought in Sam Yates and Patricia Warrow. And we're going to talk a little bit about companion services, homemaker services, returning to home care, and all the stuff that we can help people with to manage their care at home. So we'll go first to Sam. Sam, talk to us a little bit about VIP home care. Well, VI- America, VIP yes. America. And I like that little flag there. It is. <laughs> America. A VIP America is a nurse registry. And there's a big difference, and Patricia will explain it uh, in more detail, but there's a difference between a nurse registry and an agency. At VIP, they literally screen people, make sure that they have the proper licensing, and take those people and match them with the needs of the individual that may be needing care in their home. Uh, I, I tease folks and I say, you know, if you're a... Uh, New York Giants fan, uh, we'll try to find someone that's a New York Giants fan to come in and take care of you in your home, whether it be uh, 24-7 care or uh, housekeeping or personal care or maybe even just a, a trip to the doctor's office. We try to match those people to the specific needs in the home. And, of course, the, the big thing is that we have all seen with the pandemic uh, the awful toll that disease can happen, pandemic happens, and people in some of the facilities, and, and I'm, I'm not putting the facilities down, but they're a confined space, and the death toll there was horrendous, of And course. the mental health. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Isolationism can kill, and it has right. during this pandemic. And Patricia, how did you get involved with VIP America? And I like it. It's a very important person, America. <laughs> um, I've been with VIP about six years. Uh, funny enough, I went as a temp. I was working for another uh, large corporation down in West Palm Beach. I had finished uh, my second degree and decided, uh, actually second and third degree, and uh, decided I needed a mental break for a little while. And a friend of mine said, hey, I have a hot mess and I need some help. So I literally walked in as a temp and then I've been with them six years and I've done a lot with the company. I've been um, a temp, I've been a claims assistant and um, essentially now I am the claim, the corporate claims manager, but I have also run the central branch in the Melbourne office. I spent 10 months this past year running that branch um, and growing that branch. I didn't even know they had a branch in uh, Melbourne. Yes, it's on Until ABWA, we started talking because there's so many nursing agencies. There's so many healthcare agencies. And so let's talk a little bit about the difference between the nurse registry and uh, home health business. So we operate under the nurse registry care model. We are a client-centric, so it's client-based. Uh, when you think about a nursing home agency where you go to the hospital and they say you need to go with XYZ, and you typically get somebody who is already connected with the hospital and you get an agency. And when you go to an agency, they're employees. All of their caregivers right. It's are all employees. about marketing, right? right? Who can make it to the social workers right. first who and get, get their ear? Who can get with the case manager and, and get in? Right. And um, a lot of hospitals have direct connections with specific, you know, uh, in a specific areas. So they have a, a kinship already built or um, an established relationship there or an automatic feed system if a hospital owns a healthcare agency or if they're connected directly by a sister relationship. So the registry model itself is the, the client is the employer. It is uh, all the caregivers are independent contractors. They come in and they register just like a client would register for services. They come in to register for to provide services. They go through the same vetting process as if you go through an agency. It is actually a little more stringent because they require a level two background check, a local background check. It's 45 pages of paperwork for a caregiver to onboard with VIP. And is there a fee like if someone is a, um, a therapist or I would think somebody's a nursing assistant or a nurse? I mean, is there a fee that you pay the registry to register with them? No, it's free. Really? That's awesome. So we do um, we do non-skilled nursing. So we do CNAs, HHAs. We do have some skilled nurses and um, LPNs and RNs. Predominantly the care that we do at VIP or refer care for is uh, for homemakers, companion, respite, uh, live-in. We do live-in cases. We're one of the only registries in, in Brevard County that provides live-in services. Um, and we are doing it and it's always at the client's request um, the client determines every single point of contact with the caregiver they dictate the way it goes so uh, and the beauty of that is we try to do what's called care match uh, almost like tinder for adults for yeah yes for elderly care it's, right. it's literally tinder um, because we're matching based off of their specific needs and wants uh, down to, uh, you know, very specifically, uniform, no uniform, yeah. you know, as formal or as informal. And it's meant to be organic. It's meant to be fluid. It's meant to change as the needs of the client changes. Um, and it's meant to be consistent. So a lot of times if you go to an agency, you're going to have XYZ caregiver today. You may have a different caregiver tomorrow and you may have another one on Friday. 
um, with this particular setup, with the registry model, uh, we pride ourselves in making sure the caregivers are consistent with the client. So, so it's, it's like a matchmaking service. Well, it absolutely is. So when we go to a caregiver saying we have a case open, we're asking them to accept the case as a whole. So if it's for 25 hours a week, they're accepting the 25 hours a week and they make that relationship. So, I love it. So Sam, what areas of, oh, the two Sams we have. You have <laughs> a question. Did you see our, both yes, of Sam our has a question for both Sam. I have a question around. for Sam. <laughs> That's always fun, I swear. It never gets old. Uh, do, you, do you help, uh, the, what areas of Bavard and the surrounding counties does VIP America Home Care service? We service all of the areas of Brevard and actually stretch into Orange and Seminole counties. Over the, the last year, a major portion of our activities have been very much Brevard Space Coast specific. Uh, we're heavily involved in, for example, the Brevard Healthcare Coalition, and we've taken a big lead in the 321 flu shot campaign, and we're just getting ready to uh, announce more about the flu shot campaign so that we don't see flu shots and pandemic turn into a twindemic. So we look for people to help. And it's interesting, uh, as Patricia says, uh, we help care for them in their homes, but we become a referral source. If they have something that we can't do, we say, well, what about this? So when you ask about the areas we serve, uh, a broad area, a total of 16 different counties throughout Florida, stretching from the, the southeast down in the Palm Beaches, Martin Treasure Coast, uh, Indian River, Okeechobee, uh, into Brevard, Orange, Seminole, and then over to the West Coast in the, the Collier and Lee County areas. So we touch on literally thousands and thousands of people's lives every day. Wow. And how do you normally acquire your clientele? Well, um, our clients come to us from a variety of sources, uh, some of them through long-term care. Uh, so VIP does take insurance. We do under the Medicaid umbrella. We are a contracted provider under Medicaid for Sunshine Health, for uh, Stay Well, uh, for Humana. Um, we have Seminole Tribe that we deal with over on the West Coast. And then we also do long-term care insurance. So if it is a, an exterior long-term health care insurance, we accept them and we accept the assignment of benefits. And we have a great team of people in my department that does uh, are like in little house gurus on long-term care. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's like music to my ears when I speak about the elderly because I know that I'm going to get old one day. I mean, that's how I was raised, once a man, twice a child, right? And when I heard um, the president talking recently about dental care and vision and increasing the amount of money for families to um, receive at home to take care of their loved ones, I immediately thought about myself and why I would want to die with dignity in my own home. I mean, we pay off our mortgages by that time. We've got... Um, you know, lawn maintenance people that are trustworthy by that time. We know who's coming and going. We know who's pest control. We know our life insurance, health insurance. We know everything about our bodies and our lives at that time. And then to have to leave it and go to a nursing facility in a twin bed, I think it's heartbreaking. And Sam, you're shaking your head because I think you feel the same way I feel about that. Well, you, you know, one of the, the biggest things, and I'm taking that you're talking to the Sam on your left and not the Sam on your far Sam left. Sam on my left. Sam on the far <laughs> left. Uh, you know, it's, it's different today. You and I and every senior citizen right now, typically, is very, very well-versed on the aging process. 
Uh, there may be things that happen that we don't understand medically, but we know what happens in that aging process. Uh, I had a hospice volunteer tell me that, you know, uh, it's going to be very odd in some of the nursing homes and hospice facilities when uh, you are listening to rock music instead of Muzak on the background system because we're aging into that, that uh, different mm-hmm. society. Now, as we do that and become more and more aware, we're asking for more from the system. And one of the things that we want from that aging system is not to get kicked out of our homes. We've worked all of our lives for it. We respect hope that us. Age respect with dignity. Us. Age like with like Patricia dignity. was saying, if you want to wake up at the age of 79 and go for 20 minutes and paint in your porch, if you don't have dementia and you could do it, why not? And, and you right. know, it's being, why does it have to be everybody today? Sure. We're making today. We're just throwing a ball from patient to patient. Why can't it be? A, a, a goal that every person gets to age with dignity in their home. And luckily, a lot of different organizations are recognizing that. And let, let me just say for the builders associations, we have a very active builders association here on the Space Coast. Uh, from a, And I'm involved in a lot of different builders associations. There is a new program called Certified Aging in Place. Yes. That the builders, and hopefully we're going to get more money from I uh, saw the Biden administration uh, for the Americans, uh, the Older Americans Act, because... They deserve to stay in their homes, and that's where VIP can come in and help let them stay safely in their homes. I love it. And so so for Patricia, do you help keep people out of the nursing facilities if they wish to remain at home an Asian place? Yes, that is the essential goal. You know, we when we get a call from someone, um, you can get a call from, for, from anywhere, you know, in the United States. And uh, for 10 months this year, I acted as the administrator for the Melbourne office. And the number of calls that you get on a daily basis, you can get one call, two calls inquiring. But by far and large, people are asking, how can I keep my parent in their home? How can I bring them home? Um, you know, because of an unsafe condition, I have concerns, you know, or they want to close, make that family unit even closer the you know the end of life care type of thing did you what see that you increase during the pandemic oh yes absolutely you know yeah. i know that you know for my own personal sake you know uh looking at things is i went from working in an office to have to going remotely and then i i contained everything at home and we kept everything at home and when i had a medical instance i wanted to go in and come back home and i did not want to you know convalesce in the hospital i wanted to come back home it was no different 11 years ago when i went through cancer i wanted to do it on my terms in my home i don't know of anybody who doesn't want to do life on their own terms and this gives them the autonomy to be able to choose who comes into your home and and they direct the choir from within their home so when we get phone calls and people go okay i want to keep my mom at home or i don't know how to make it happen it doesn't matter at the end of the That's, day. That makes your heart sink, right? When somebody says, I don't know how to or make it happen. Or if they call and they go, I need help. What do I need to do? I want to keep them at home. I want help. And at the end of the day, we're still a referral source. Even if you don't land them as a client, even if you don't, you know, uh, take them on, grab the big case uh, or grab seven big cases, um, you're still a referral source. So that's what I always wanted to be was a referral source. So even if I didn't have the answer that you wanted today, you would remember who I was because I may have the answer tomorrow. Right. That's right. So Patricia, I have a question for you, my dear. What's the typical procedure to follow if you or a loved one needs help? Easy. Call. Uh, A lot of people start with a Google search. You go home health care and they start looking for, uh, and sometimes they don't even know what they want. Um, so my part, what I used to do was a gut check. 
Okay, you always have to have a serious gut check when you're talking because home care, private in-home care is not for the faint of heart. Okay, it is not. It is, you have to have a lot of fortitude. You have to have a lot of understanding of what to expect uh, personally and professionally and financially. Okay, a lot of people go, okay, I want to bring them home and they go, we're just going to do it. And they don't have a lot of thought. So the biggest thing that I say is look at your circumstance, understand what it is you're expecting, what it is they're expecting, and make sure that you can accommodate that through finance. And it's always at the end of the day, you go, is it really worth it? A hundred percent. We had my grandparents, both of my grandparents in facilities at one point or another throughout their stay. My grandfather passed away in a facility in, in St. Lucie County in 2007. And I told my mother we would not do that to my grandmother. We did not because she had Lewy body dementia, very different kind of dementia. My grandfather had a, you know, he was a stroke victim and he went into a facility. My grandmother couldn't take care of him. And I was not in a position where I could stop what I was doing. And my mom just was ill-equipped to be able to take care of him uh, and her at the same time. So when he passed away, I was like, we are not doing this again. Yeah. And we had my grandmother until 2010 and we tag teamed it. I worked full time. My other half worked full time. My mother was the daytime caregiver. And even though I had worked all day, we were the nighttime caregivers. We tucked her in and we did those things because I wouldn't have given up those three years for anything. Yeah, but you know, you had something there. You had a willingness and you had love. Oh, I also had training, too, because I'd worked in nursing homes from the time I was 16. So I had an inherent need to be able to take care of those things. And not always, you know, people don't always have that. You know, they they want mom at home, but they can't be that primary caregiver. You you have to be willing to do it. You have to be. So, so Sam, what is the best way for audience to um, contact VIP America? The easiest way is just to go to our website, www.vipamerica.com. And the reason that I steer people to the website, uh, Patricia touched upon it earlier, is that we do get a lot of Google searches and the name comes up. But we also are seeing, as as you all know, because here in Florida, uh, more and more people are moving to the Sunshine State each and every day. Our area, this region, Space Coast, Treasure Coast, uh, even over on the Fort Myers area, we're among the uh, top 10 areas for retirees coming in. We're number four in the U.S. World Report. Number Absolutely. four. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, so, and so once contacted, do you have the people in place to provide the services? We do. And I, I want to put in a pitch, though, that we're always looking for more, more people. people. Uh, especially in light of what has happened with the pandemic and the number of people that have dropped out for one reason or another of the workforce and and just uh, the the mental physical attrition that has happened we are now actively recruiting for caregivers and if you are uh, in a position where uh, you can take a few classes and become a caregiver or if you're a caregiver already and perhaps you don't want that hospital regimen or the nursing home or assisted living facility regimen and you'd rather be a uh, your own private contractor in business for yourself that's the reason to contact vip america right and the person doesn't have to give a whole eight hours you can register to do i see you're shaking your head pat patricia you could do two hours or four hours a day yes the schedule for the caregiver and the client is completely up to them the caregivers choose their schedule that they want that is the beauty of the independent contractor model they choose what they want to do they choose the areas they want to work in the days they want to work and the clients get to choose the caregivers so for listeners who are tuning in, this is Sita Biggie on Viewpoint with Sita and Friends. Samantha Nazari is co-hosting with me. We have Sam Yates here and we have Patricia Warrow here. And we're speaking with VIP America, people helping people to stay independent in place. 
So let's go through some of the services um, that VIP America does. You uh, Basic maintenance, housekeeping, laundry, shopping, transportation. And one of my friends just texted me and asked me, um, are all the people um, screened um, for an, for employment when they get started with VIP America? Yes. So initially when they come in, the caregivers are asked to fill out a, a load of paperwork, and which includes a level two background check, local background check, the ACA check. They all have to be ACA certified that they are able to work as if they were working in a facility, hospital, doctor's office, everything. Um, we go through, uh, you know, the level two background check in and of itself will give you their criminal history and things like that. They also have to make sure that they maintain their active licensure. So we check their license, make sure that the license is active, it's valid, and then they have to have their supporting um, continuing education every year. They have to give us proof of that. Uh, we make sure that they have an active driver's license, especially if the, the component is going to include transportation to a doctor's office or doctor's visit. We make sure that they have liability insurance. Um, all caregivers have to provide their own liability insurance. Um, we make sure that they have uh, car insurance, an active uh, registration for their car. So we, we go through the same components that you would for um, a caregiver in, in a facility situation. But if there is a transportation component, we also add those pieces to it too. Gotcha. And so, so you as drug test as well? So since they're independent contractors, that's, not, that's an employer requirement. So is the things that we can't do, or we can't train, we can't mandate, and we can't supervise. Yeah. Okay. But that is up to the client. So, so, so Sam, what I'm hearing is that VIP America is providing uh, a way for people to be an independent contractor and work for themselves. Absolutely. And how fascinating that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Because you if know, you have a full-time job and you want to work a few hours a week, you can do that. And we encourage people to take a look at how they can look at their community and give back into that community. Just as your uh, previous guest uh, was talking about caring for the community, this is a way of giving back to the community and get paid for it as an independent contractor. And before I, uh, before I run out of time, you know, it goes a little bit one step beyond just caring for people in their homes because we get involved in the community. One of the things that I want to uh, briefly mention is called the Love Notes and Roses, Valentine's Day. Older Americans, veterans, looking out, seeing everyone else get the box of candy and get the roses, and they're all alone because they've been forgotten. We've created a program where we encourage people, your listeners right now, to create handmade love notes, Valentine's cards, if you will, or donate some roses, and we'll make sure that those get delivered to seniors and aging veterans who otherwise would be very much alone and perhaps afraid. Oh, right, and, and you know, when we started the conversation, we were talking about companions, right? People get married to have a companion. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you lose that companion, and it's hard. And we've seen on Facebook, on social media, every day you open social media, somebody is saying, I lost my mom. Yes. I lost my dad. I lost my best friend. I lost a child. I lost my teacher. I lost my love of my life. And it's heartbreaking. So before we run out of time, what is the average cost for someone who is um, wants to sign up with VIP America? And who determines these prices? The client determines the prices. Okay. We don't set any prices at all. What is the way the price is made is there is a registry fee, uh, which is a standard registry fee that we have in built into our system. Um, it's a percentage. Uh, and then it's on top of the caregiver's rate. So if a caregiver wants $14 an hour or $15 an hour, then there's the registry fee of 1.8%. 
Um, so for $15 an hour, your average bill rate would be $27 an hour. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So, so, so tell, tell our listeners on Viewpoint with Cedar and Friends again um, a little bit about how you determine which clientele gets which service. Because it seems to me somebody in Tortoise Island would have a lot more money and probably want somebody full-time. Whereas somebody who lives in a different area might say, I just need transportation. So it all depends on your need, your type of surgery, yes. your, where you live, it's how much money you got in the bank, right? It, I it's mean, 100% dependent. So one of the things, like I said earlier, is a gut check. Uh, one of those things that I would say, give you just an average, you know, how many hours are you looking for? Uh, some of the questions that I ask in, in the basic assessment would be height, weight, diagnosis, and your care needs. What do you need to have done? Um, how often do you need to have that done and what are you willing to pay the caregiver? And I also do the side of the gut check is if you're asking me for a caregiver two hours a day, seven days a week to get mama up out of the bed and then to tuck her back in in the evening for two hours, it's not going to happen. That's right. Here's why. Caregivers don't like to split shifts and they don't like two hours at a time. They typically like four, six or eight hour shifts. They like the shifts of length and they like the higher bill rate. Uh, so it really isn't a matter of... Um, it's all dependent on what the client needs. They can go from just strictly companion services or they could do companion. They could do house uh, homemaking. They could do respite, which covers all of the services. It really is just a matter of what the client needs, what the family needs, because sometimes your caregivers of your clients, the primary caregivers are the family members, they need respite. So sometimes it's a matter of, I don't need care for my dad. I need four hours because I have to go grocery shopping. That's today. right. And I, or I, I right. have my own doctor's appointment today. Yes. So it's also considering the family's needs, not as not just not just the client's needs. Right. And so, Sam, I, I have long-term care insurance. And so if, let's say, God forbid, I slip and fall on a banana peel and I end up with a broken hip. And I say, listen, Sam, I want to recuperate at home. I have LTC, CNA insurance. What can you do for me? Because I'm, I'm thinking with a broken hip, I'll need a therapist. I'll need somebody to help me to go to the bathroom. I can Uber my food. I can cut that cost. So how would you approach somebody like me? <laughs> well, the first thing would be to give you a, a more detailed screening. We know that you're in a situation where you're going to need help. Let's categorize the type of help that you need to keep you safely in your home. Once we know those different types of help that you need, we'll take a look at our services and match the services provided by our caregivers to what you need. And when I say our services, those are the ones that are provided by caregivers. If there's something outside the realm that we cannot make a referral to from our staffing, uh, from the people who have signed up to give the services, then we'll look outside. And, and that's one of the important things that we do we maintain relationships, whether it be with the, the VNA or whether it be with a health care advocate, someone that will look at the system and say, ah, she needs more than what is available. Yeah, because you might have VIP. somebody who's handicapped, or even wheelchair accessible, walkers, and how do you deal with that? So even though uh, we do in a free in-home assessment, mm -hmm. so if anybody ever has any questions, and it's a no obligation, so you can always call and say, I, I would like services. I'd like somebody to come talk to me in my home. We'll have somebody go out and talk to you. And it do you mean... partner with anyone to put like a grab bar in a home? So maybe a, a, things... put a ramp for a wheelchair and things like that. So that's one of the things was when we do during the assessment, we take a look at the needs. And if, if some, let's say you have mom come home and you have nothing in the home for equipment as far as DME, durable medical equipment, um, we will say we have a, a 
local referral that we will give to you or a name or two and say these are people we know it, that it's are a reputable. community approach so yes. with the two minutes left give us the website sam for people to go on and check out vip america it's, and connect with the home sure. care and professional services you all give www.vipamerica.com now if you have someone who is interested in vacationing here and they have put it off because they have someone at uh, in, in their home that they need the care bring them here just it's not just for residents it's also we're finding a oh. lot of people are coming here on vacation and they, and they need help and they need help and it's not only for the elderly it can be for children absolutely. too absolutely that oh my is goodness. fantastic. What a great show. What a great show. So Thank give us you the website so much. one more time so people could check out um, VIP America and then they can go and listen to our podcast that Sam and Patricia did. www.vipamerica.com is the website. And once you go to the website, you'll see that we serve 16 different counties. And uh, Patricia, you want to give our local number here for the Space Coast region? Yes, our Melbourne office number is 321 321- Five four one one two four eight, and the administrator there is Dara. 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 Yeah, I have a friend named Dara. I wonder if it's the same one. So we have a minute left, but I just wanted to say, if people really woke up tomorrow and say, you know what, let's go to the border, and say to all the people who can wash, dress, and groom in this corner, who can work in retail this corner, who can help us with our little children, because you know what, we need workers. Guess, bring them in as guest workers. Let them pay taxes and work, because right now. Washing, dressing, grooming, taking somebody to the bathroom. People may not understand how important that is, but when you can't wipe your own behind and you need somebody to do it, people will pay to get it done and live in their own homes in dignity, die with dignity, right? Yes. We hope our politicians listen to that solution because it's an excellent solution. <laughs> I ran for office. I should have won. Sam, take it away. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Viewpoint with Zita and Friends, and it was an absolute pleasure, and have a great day, everyone. So awesome.